Welcome to episode 84, is it not, Mundo? 84, yeah. Of the stupendous Pirate Monk podcast, mm. coming to you once again, practically live, from high above the mellow mushroom here in metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. This is a special episode, a double header, no less. Double header. Oh, man. Right. We're going to play two. It's a nice day. We're going to play two. Okay. And first up, I mean, uh, in the batting circle right now mm. is the chancellor of Future Marriage University, our good friend Michael Johnson. MJ, thanks for joining us, dude. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. And I ask you here specifically uh, because I'm very curious about a, a course at marriage, a future marriage university that I understand is really uh, at the core of the curriculum. Yep. A course called Forgiveness 101. Yeah, it's uh, my belief that forgiveness is the number one relational skill. If you cannot, I, I know most people would say communication, mm -hmm. and and I'm like. How about this communication? I don't love you anymore. There Is that you clear go. enough? Uh -huh. Good. So it, it's not so much communication as much as just being able to actually truly forgive. Mm -hmm. Now, just to orient uh, our listeners, those who haven't heard you on the podcast before, um, you spend a lot of your time on the road mm -hmm. talking to college kids mostly around mm -hmm. the country yep. uh, who are looking ahead at marriage, yep. uh, trying to give them... Uh, some of that valuable instruction that you and I did not receive exactly before entering into the bonds of matrimony. Yeah, the bonds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean uh, into the joys of matrimony. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that said it. <laughs> All right, um, into the joyful bonds of matrimony. Mm -hmm. And um, and so based on your experience. Mm -hmm. This I mean, this is the place where you want to go first. Is that true? As far as forgiveness? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I can't get there that fast. Uh -huh. i got to talk about sex and dating and stuff like that for uh, about a week. Right. And then, uh, then that's, yeah. Because that's uppermost in everybody's mind. Yeah. At that age. Pretty anyway. much. It was on mine. Yeah. Sure. Pretty much. So, uh, yeah, kids right now think uh, the goal of uh, marriage is just to wait to have sex until then. Right. So, uh, yeah. Which, uh, my analogy for that is... Um, Hey, uh, I made it all the way here for this interview, and I did not pee nor poop in my pants <laughs> all the way here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made it all the way here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, of course you did, because that's what adults are expected to do, and the reason I actually came here was not so I could announce, hey, I made it here yeah, without, yeah. with clean underwear, but so that I could, so I could have this interview. Yeah, yeah. And students don't seem to understand that. They're not waiting to have sex just so they can say they waited when they get married. There's like, God has like a big plan. Yeah, two or three. I mean, the biggest part of the plan is guilt-free sex, of course. But beyond that, there's probably other things. Yeah. Which is eventually yeah. where forgiveness yeah. comes in at some yeah. point in time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so how do you initiate the conversation? When, when, the, when the audience is finally ready, mm -hmm. um, you've established credibility. You've got a relationship with them. Have I done that yet? They're listening. <laughs> you certainly have gained it with me. Um, yeah, so how do you broach the subject of forgiveness? Uh, well, again, you start with their relationships already, because uh, mm -hmm. most kids, uh, our biggest hurts are our parents, right? Yeah. And we blame them for everything. Uh -huh. And um, my, my phrase is, if you think your parents hurt you, wait until you get married. 
Ooh. Which, you know, is, yeah. they're like, they look at me like I just cussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, you know, here's the deal. You know, I, I don't want to negate how bad it was, the things that happened to you in your past. Uh-huh. And, and, I'm, and I am not in any way, shape, or form think that I, oh, you think you've been hurt? Listen to my... No, uh-huh. I haven't been hurt that bad. I've, I've heard horrifying stories. Yeah. But the bottom line is, when your parents did that, you knew that eventually, around the corner... You're leaving on a jet That's right, exactly. You know, know, you're not trapped here forever. You knew that you're moving on. Right. Then you get married. Right. And your spouse may have done the exact same thing. But you know they did that to you knowing that you're supposed to be stuck with them forever until death. And so it makes the same hurt actually hurt more. Oh, wow. And, And then not to mention that you're still carrying that bitterness mm-hmm. from the past hurts. And it doesn't have to just be parents. It could be past, oh my goodness, ex-boyfriends and girlfriends. Right, sure. Uh, some people have both of those. And and you've got all that baggage, and you thought that that was behind you, but what you didn't realize is when you buried that, that that was like burying nuclear waste. Right, And right. sure, you buried it, you planted new grass on top, and everything looked friggin' awesome. Right. Until you see animals dying on your property. Right, yeah, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> because... The, right, that right. poison the ground, and that's what makes for unforgiveness so dangerous. Right. Because it the, the contamination pro- proliferates. Can mm-hmm. I say the word prol- yeah, proliferates? Yeah, you did, and you without said it you very well, without you realizing till it's too late, mm-hmm. and all you know is you're angry and you're bitter, mm-hmm. and you're and mm-hmm. and that's what you got to go back. You got to yeah. go back and unpack those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are what are the realities? Of forgiveness, just the hardcore realities of forgiveness. Yeah, well, uh, actually, the book is the subtitle is uh, you know the you know five biblical realities to set you free to forgive. But really, w- w- if I could, not not mm-hmm. to be a politician and answer a different question, but those 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 realities are so it takes so long to to yeah. capitalize. Let me give you two keys. Okay. Number one is um, uh, uh, healing over feeling. Mm-hmm. And and by that, uh, I use a Band-Aid analogy. Because uh, when you get a cut on your knee uh, and you're a little kid, what do you want? You want a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. That's going to make it all, all right. But if you got a big cut and it got dirt in it, what's mom going to do? She ain't going to just put a Band-Aid on it, is she? Uh, right, right, right. She's going right to pull out. She's going to pull out. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And you're like, no. You're like, no, it didn't hurt anymore. I don't even need the Band-Aid. I'm fine. You yeah, know? That's right, exactly. All the while, it's like gushing out blood. <laughs> yeah. And, and the point is, is you need to clean out the cut or else you're going to have a worse problem later on. Right, you, right. The point is not to feel better. Oh, look, there's Batman on my knee instead of that cut. Yeah, Because yeah, I yeah. put a Band-Aid there. I don't see the cut. I see little Barbie or whatever it is. Yeah. The point is to get healed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And forgiveness is the ointment mm. that will make that cut sting like the Dickens. Right. It may even make you feel that same pain even worse than you did before. Right. But you, if you want to be healed, you must put healing over feeling. Uh-huh. And the other key is believing before receiving. And uh, it, you know, Jesus says, um, uh, "And you shall know the truth." Well, he says to the Jews that believed in him, "Yeah, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Now. Everybody loves that phrase, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But Jesus first says, 
if you abide in my word. Mm-hmm. That mean, uh, To abide means to rest, to stay. I talk to my kids about, you know, because it's not just resting like sitting in the chair like I am now. I talk about when I'm on the highway, I'll veer off into the other lane. Is this okay? Am I, no, no, you got to stay in your lane, Dad. You say, That's right, i got to abide. And you got to abide in the lane that the Lord has laid down for you. Mm-hmm. He says, you do that, then you're my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. But we want the truth to set us free first. Right. Uh-huh. Like, let's see, I'll try this Jesus thing and I'll accept him and see if it makes my porn, you know, pornography addiction go away. Oh, mm-hmm. it didn't work. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You've got to know the truth first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to believe it. Mm-hmm. And not, not know it intellectually. We all know all that crap intellectually. Uh-huh. Jesus died for my sins. And if I was the only person in the world, he would still die for me. Well, your sins must be pretty bad then. Mm-hmm. But to to really grasp that and believe it and then those truths set you free not usually right away Mm -hmm. but over time you look back and you're like oh my goodness I'm free of that bitterness Mm -hmm. I'm free of that anger Mm -hmm. I mean still what that person did they haven't even repented Mm-hmm. They haven't even confessed. Mm-hmm. They're still denying. They're still excusing. They're still, but I'm free. Mm. So those are the two keys. Yeah. Boy, and it, 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 that is true liberation, isn't it? Not to be held hostage mm. uh, to the honesty of another person. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Love that. Even if it's not what you want, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, you've got a wonderful uh, e-book on the subject of yep. uh, forgiveness. Yep. It's not really... It, it's Ironically, I've, I've written and published three other books since this one, but I, I never quite published this one. But for your listeners... I, for them, I make special deal. Oh, good. <laughs> that, We're that good okay? friends. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Was that, was no. that a non-politically correct? That's it okay. Was, you was. special deal. <laughs> you send me an email. Um, email me at uh, info, of course, I-N-F-O, at uh, futuremarriageuniversity.org and say, hey, I heard about your forgiveness book. I want it. And mm-hmm. I'll send you a PDF. Fantastic. Just like that. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Just to, no, no hoops to jump through. Yeah. No, um, well, I would love to get your feedback, but mm-hmm. beyond that, there you go. Well, my brother, uh, MJ is one of the guys that I get together with on a regular basis, usually at his initiative. And I've got to tell you how much I appreciate that. I, I'm i glad that we're able to spend time together. I love, yeah. to, I love to talk to people that will be real. Uh-huh. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I heard heard somewhere that, that you can kind of be real about stuff. Yeah. You're kind of more <laughs> open. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. So and you, you know what you said last time to me that I've sold? Told him, sold? sold. <laughs> <laughs> I've sold it making tons of money off it. Your whole concept of we all have same sex needs. Mm-hmm. They're just not sexual. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that rocked me. I've told so many people that because it's conveyed exactly what I've been trying to convey in like a paragraph. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you conveyed it in one sentence. Yeah. Oh, and so, I mean, really, for you listening, I mean, that is that is so true. Yeah. And part of your forgiveness uh, release may come in actually finding that person that that you can be real with, that right. you can be transparent with, that you can have that same sex relationship with, which has nothing to do with your sexuality, but has to do with true intimacy, with forgiveness, with communication, and all yeah. that, that jazz. 
Brothers need brothers. Isn't that it? Yeah, Amen. Right. That's right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Better shut the mic off before I start talking yeah. glossolalia. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming, Michael. Uh, and we'll be back with the second half of this exciting double hitter here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, pirates, life is a wonderful life, a roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. Well, we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast and here with our special guest coming to us uh, live via the miracle of modern telecommunications. Yes. From Skype. Uh, yeah, from Skype. Yes. We're Skyping all the way to Birmingham, Alabama mm-hmm. to bring to our listeners none other than Trailer Lovern. Hello, Trailer. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, doing well. Man, uh, so good to have you on the podcast and looking forward to seeing you once again uh, face-to-face in just a few weeks when we're down there in uh, in Birmingham. We'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, trailer, you know, I, I don't know you, but uh-huh. do you know what impresses me most about you? What's that? If if I could spell your name in a Scrabble game, do you know how many points it would be? <laughs> well, it depends on how late in the game it is and how many triple word scores, I'm sure. But, but You've got yeah. two V's and a Y, and it's amazing. Well um, done. It, absolutely. Well, I can't take too much credit for that, but thank you. <laughs> take it where you can get it. <laughs> well, uh we were introduced, Trailer and I, by mutual friends. Uh, oh, a few months ago. I've heard your name for a good long while. You've been uh, you've been hanging around Samson. You've been doing the deal. Yeah. Um, turns out you and I have walked on paths that are uh, n- uh, different in some ways, but not that different. Uh, yeah. I'd love for you just to uh, kind of introduce yourself to the listeners by. Uh, telling your story, about, especially you and Tal, and kind of how it all went down and how you wound up in this life. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, obviously, you know, if I was kind of scripting this story, it would have a few different details, but I um, can honestly say um, it is really um, God's been writing it all along. Mm-hmm. I haven't always believed that, um, but um, grateful to be uh, where we are. Um, we do have a lot in common. I'm, I actually read your book. Um, I guess I stumbled across it um, maybe, I don't know, five years ago now, something like that. And um, for those first few chapters, really felt like I was I was reading my own bio. Um, mm. Ministry background, um, grew up in a very small town in East Alabama, uh, right on the Georgia-Alabama line between Birmingham and Atlanta. Um, grew up on a farm. Um, and when I say small town, you've got it. This this is a town you definitely have to go toward town to hunt. I mean, this is this is <laughs> tiny, tiny. Um, as a matter of fact, I think there's 117 people in Woodland proper uh, the last time uh, mm. it was counted. Um, but growing up in that environment, uh, obviously everyone knew everyone. Um, I, um, my family. Uh, you mentioned my name earlier. Trailers and Loverns are are two. Um, predominant families or there's just a lot of them predominant is probably not the right word but um early age felt like i had to to live up to my family's um, expectation and then i started preaching actually uh, when i was 15 years old Mm -hmm. in that environment and that's a whole story in and of itself um 
but felt like I had to live for my family's reputation and then for my reputation. And so I learned very early how to be a chameleon. I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but I could literally in milliseconds size up what was expected in any situation, and then I would morph into that. And when I started preaching in high school, what you know that was kind of interesting in and of itself because probably six, eight months after I started doing that, anyone that went to school with me who went to church, I had been in their church. And so I'm walking the halls week after week, you know, a lot of these kids, maybe they went to church just because their parents made them. But I felt like it was my responsibility to be a positive witness. And the one way I knew um, would be a bad witness would be if I was um, argumentative or causing conflict. And so I, I really took on this um, peace at all costs type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um not rock, you know. I knew if I was rocking the boat and those kind of things, that that would be interpreted as as being uh, unrighteous. So I was put on the happy face, peace at all cost, don't rock the boat, plain vanilla, and mm-hmm. and that was really how I defined um, my relationship with uh, with Christ in a lot of ways. Um, you know, again, felt it was my responsibility to be a positive witness to all these kids, and um, went to Stanford. Um, uh, was studying to be a minister, came to Sanford to play basketball as well, which was my dream to play Division One basketball. It looked like that was going to happen. I met my wife my freshman year. She was two years ahead of me, um, but I'd finally gotten away from the small town. It was an opportunity to try to maybe start over and to really develop some deeper relationships because in that situation, there wasn't any depth to the relationships because you can only let people so close right. when... Um, when you're trying to keep up uh, an appearance. Um, so coming to Sanford, you know, getting to the bigger city, um, quickly, unfortunately, I got labeled as the freshman who preached in 250 different churches. And so I like, well, I can't let these guys down. So I started, again, performing for the folks who were fellow religion majors. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just the cycle continued to repeat itself. Um, also part of my story, at eight years old, I was exposed to pornography. And... It just after that initial exposure, uh, if it was around, I found it, um, uh, the best way I can describe it. And the shame of knowing what was right and wrong, knowing that was definitely wrong, but continuing to go, go back to that as a way of, of medicating the pain that was in my life. Um, uh, because when you're putting on a happy face and not really knowing how to deal with negative emotions or, you know, sadness and anger and some of these things that really weren't allowed in our home, you know, all I need to do is stuff that stuff. And when those feelings were there, I needed to numb it. Um, and this is what I what I ran to to do that. Uh, How were you exposed at eight years old in this I, little little teeny town? I found um, a stash of a relative. Um, and, um, you know, again, then if it was around, um, you know, I found it. Um, I had friends that were all in the youth group. There were five of us, five guys in the youth group. That's, uh, you know, Small, small church, but yeah. uh, we, uh, uh, one of them, an uncle that had it, and they'd found stuff, and so it's just the typical, typical yeah. story there. Um, but you know, getting married, I'll, I'll fast forward a bit. You know, got Sanford, got married, thought um, being married would fix everything. It didn't, and and just again, the shame of um, how can I continue to do this? And you know, and this whole idea that God is angry, God's upset. Um, kind of grew up in uh, this idea that salvation, justification, is a free gift of God. 
But my sanctification, I was somehow taught, not in these terms, but definitely what I picked up, that my sanctification is now a thank you to God for my justification. Yeah. So it's almost like now God has given me everything I need and crossed his arms and now is expecting me to make good choices the rest of my life. It was all about behavior, um, very much moralism, but uh, but that was that was a trap that I was in, and, and you know got married, started a uh, uh, business, and financial stress, and that wasn't going well. And here's these negative emotions that I didn't know how to deal with. You know, quickly found chat rooms, and that was my my escape. And and for me, unlike a lot of people who go to chat rooms, I think for me, I was more authentic in the chat room than I was in real life. Mm. Makes sense. I was such a mask wearer that in the chat room, it was it, what hooked me was for the first time in my life, nobody had an expectation. Mm-hmm. Like the, the level playing field um, was there that I'd been longing for. Uh, just to start with a, a control setting to say, hey, my name is Trey Lover. Uh, nice to meet you. You know, none of this, oh, you're so-and-so's grandson. Oh, you're so-and-so's son. You're, you know, you're the guy who's pre. You know, none of that. It was just, just getting to know somebody for me. Um, but the chat rooms quickly turned into adult chat rooms. And, um, after 11 years of marriage, uh, when everything came out in the year 2000, I'd had, um, seven one night stands and it crossed every line that I had sworn that I would never cross. Mm-hmm. Um, Melody found out, um, we, um, we separated for six months. I went and got, um, some help. I uh, went to Mark Laser's intensive, um, learned a lot of good information, which was great. The problem was the paradigm that I was in is I had, is I was still in that paradigm of I've got to get God to like me again. I've messed things up. Mm. And so it was more information, which was good information, but I applied it to the wrong paradigm. And so unfortunately in my, in my situation, after a year, after we got back together a year later, I had another one night stand and which ultimately led to our divorce in 2002. And lost my family, four kids, um, you know, just all the the fears that I had um, by the truth coming out were realized. And But what God did is he took me on an individual path, an individual journey um, into my own brokenness uh, because, honestly, I needed a relationship. And Melody was, was part of my drug as well. I needed her to validate me. I needed her to affirm me. And what I now realize for those 11 years of marriage, I was sucking the life out of her. Mm. And it was during those six years of being alone that God uh, took me into the desert, um, felt like very literally in the desert. And about a hundred different ways uh, through my journaling over those six years, he was coming at me with this question, Trey, am I enough? Mm. And some days I could answer that in the affirmative. Some days um, it wasn't. But eventually I got to a place where where he was enough and um, realized if I'm single the rest of my life, that's okay. Um, I am a product of church discipline. That's a whole other story. I uh, joined the church in 2002 under discipline. It, here's, here's how bad it was. It was so bad when I joined that church in 2002 that my former pastor called my current pastor warning him that I was coming to his church. Mm. Uh, so I'd gone from a pristine, perfect reputation to literally a moral leper overnight. And, and frankly, that's what I believed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shame, um, you know, how how will I ever earn my way back to God's favor? You know, I definitely felt like pl- God's plan A, I was now on maybe plan N or F, you know, mm-hmm. G8 somewhere down here, you know, and I've got to somehow earn my way back, you know, to get anywhere, anywhere close to plan A. 
so um, during those divorce years, though, I did really, um, really learn a lot, just began this journey of recovery, um, which I define recovery as God lovingly introducing us to ourselves. And I didn't want to see all that was true about me, but the more I saw um, the truth about me and my brokenness, the more amazing grace became. Mm. Go back. Do do that again. I define <laughs> I recovery. I define recovery as yeah. Say it's I def- slow. <laughs> yeah. Recovery for me um, and the guys that we work with, uh, I think, affirm this: is God lovingly introducing us to ourselves. Um, mm. I, I spent so many years um, trying to get God to like me. Um, and, you know, just beating myself up with this relentless inner critic, um, you know, that when I would mess up, you know, that, well, God's disappointed, God's turning his back, you know, God's ready for you to get your, your um, behavior in order. Um, but the more I saw my desperate need for a Savior, the more amazing grace became. And, and for me, the, the book that broke the logjam, uh, a friend two years after my divorce, um, of course, uh, single living in an apartment, and he had loaned me a book uh, by Brennan Manning, Abba's Child. Mm. And for whatever reason, it was on my nightstand. I, I reached over, started reading it, and two hours into that book, I was weeping. And the thought that ultimately broke the logjam, I remember verbally saying, God, you mean when I was 11 years old and you saved me? You saved me knowing full well that I was going to have one night st- uh, seven one-night stands. Mm-hmm. You saved me not because I was you know, a first-round draft choice for the kingdom and all these great, wonderful things that I was going to do for you. It was truly sheer grace. Mm. And, and that thought that morning was what began to, uh, the process of a, of a grace discovery in my life, mm. which gave, because before, you know, it was all about having your, your behavior together. So I wanted to pretend and, uh, to everybody else and myself that I was such a little sinner. Mm-hmm. And so I had to minimize, I had to deny what was really true about me. But when I really began to understand grace and the gospel in a new way, uh, I realized it was about him and what he had done, not about me checking off boxes. Um, I was I was a, a very, very good moralist and behavioralist, which I've come to find out is only a few clicks away from paganism. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely not the gospel. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so, uh, how, how did the story unfold then, Trey? Well, actually, as I began to find my strength um, as a as a man, um, and that that sounds uh, crazy, but a lot of my acting out was um, because I, I I had so many questions about what it meant to be a man. Mm-hmm. I think I think our fathers um, play a vital role in helping us answer that. And um, my grandfather, my dad's dad, died when he was in college, so he was still, you know, as I was growing up, you know, had those insecurities as well. So, um, so just trying to um, be super Christian um, and also um, be the nice guy. I didn't know how to handle conflict. Mm-hmm. Rereading the Gospels, you know, it was very, um, very hard to me to imagine that I'd ever seen Jesus as peace at all costs, just the passive nice guy. Mm. Uh, because there was so much, uh, so many um, encounters with the Pharisees that if the goal was to avoid conflict, Jesus could have easily have avoided the conflict. And so there was a greater good, though, that, that was at play, and, and it was about the greater good. And so it began this 
this different understanding that, mm. that maybe, maybe it's about strength under control, not either totally passive or totally out of control, beating everybody up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that what is, what is it like to find my strength and then to, to harness that strength? Um, and, and so I be, as I began to learn that it actually, as it turned out, uh, Melody, her journey after our divorce in 2002, two years later, she had actually remarried. And just before she remarried, um, the church where I was under discipline, they had me living as if I was a single guy until she was no longer available for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So for two years, I am trying to live as a married man, even though I'm single, the woman who's literally trying to have me thrown in jail mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because of it just was not a pretty picture. And so I fought that for two years. In the summer of 04, God warmed me to the idea finally of reconciliation through some of the things that I was reading. And I finally one night surrendered. Okay, God, if that's, I don't see it, but if that's what you're doing, you know, I'll trust you on that. Well, two weeks later, she came by my office and she told me she was engaged to be married. Mm. And at the time, I was like, well, do I pour my heart out to her? Do I tell her what God's doing in my life? And my pastor, my counselor, and all the other men that I was walking with at the time simply said, no, let's let it play out and, and see what happens. And she did get remarried um, that fall, and it felt honestly like God was rubbing my nose in it. Mm. Uh, get my hopes up, you know, to finally get to a place of surrender, because her coming by and telling me she was getting married would have been the best news I could have ever imagined hearing had it happened a month before. Yeah. Because all I would have heard is, finally, I get released from, you know, what this church has me, how, how they have me living. Um, so it was very confusing. She did get remarried, and that... Um, you know, just continued my own journey, but it was actually, um, after her divorce, her, you know, he was clinically depressed and ultimately left her and the kids after 18 months. It was that second divorce that was Melody's bottom mm. and God used to bring her to the end of herself. And we started after that co-parenting much better together. Um, it, it quit being this, I'm on God's holy mountain, you know, and she had this, uh, impasse. Uh, we had an impasse that she would just beat me up with the past if we ever had a disagreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was actually one of those disagreements that God began to use for our reconciliation. Um, it was an issue around our daughter. Um, Melody was clearly wrong in a certain situation, and it was, again, trying to avoid conflict. These are the kind of situations where it's impossible. Yeah. Because to do what was right for my daughter meant I had to cross Melody. And so I was fighting for my daughter's heart, um, which is something I would have done in the first 11 years. And, and Melody realized, wow, this is not the guy that I was married to before. And mm-hmm. I, I frankly said to her, when's your next counseling session? I'm going to be there. We need to work this out. And it was that encounter that began the ball rolling to ultimately us reconciling in 2008. Wow. Uh, and. Our ministry now, out of that Route 1520, um, we get that name from Luke 1520, the story of the two sons. And and really our ministry, just like our story, is we're not just helping prodigals understand grace and the gospel and the Father's heart. We're also helping um, legalistic elder brothers come to a deeper understanding of grace and the gospel. Mm. And, and that's really our story, is that God took two performers, both Melody and myself. We, we performed, uh, I planted my first church when I was 20 years old. I mean, just performance to the nth degree, striving for God to be well-pleased. Mm. He took what we call a beautiful undoing 
going through all those details that I just recounted, but had her on an individual path to a deeper understanding of his heart, me on an individual path, and ultimately those paths crossed. Mm. It wasn't we sought out to reconcile. It wasn't we said, hey, let's give this a shot. Um, is that God, um, after six years, brought us back together. And we were we were different people at the time. Yeah. That's so so what is uh, I'm just dying to know and get a glimpse into what your second marriage to your wife is like compared to your first. I mean, what that's just a an amazing story that not many people get to experience. Yeah, there's really no uh, no comparison. Um, you know, back to my definition of recovery, Melody and I really did not know ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and therefore we were defining ourselves um, really enmeshed. We were defining ourselves by the relationship and by one another. We did not know how to hang on to ourselves emotionally. Uh, we didn't know how to have healthy conflict. Um, we were trying to, again, peace at all costs, both of us put on the happy face. Well, God changes us in the context of community. And there is no closer community than husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And the context of that relationship, how he bubbles up our stuff, um, as, as only a, a husband and wife relationship can do it, we now are equipped to know how to deal with that honestly when it bubbles up. Whereas in the past, we had no concept. We, we thought we were um, you know, less than stellar and somehow doing something wrong if there was conflict or if mm-hmm. there was a misunderstanding or if one of us got angry. And, and so to be performers who hide behind a mask, but then you're thrust into a close relationship where the ma- you, you can't help but see behind the mask, that, that was the dynamic of the first 11 years of our marriage. And then ultimately, I dove more and more into pornography and my acting out and literally became a shell of a man, just dead on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so now being able to engage fully um, and, and feel the full range of emotions. So what... I'm sorry. We lost Aaron. Did we lose Aaron? He got so no, go excited ahead. and knocked him off the air. Okay, go ahead, Aaron. Uh, I'm sorry, trailer. Yeah. <laughs> Can you pick it up where you were, Trey? Yes, absolutely. Um, learning to feel the full range of emotions, and that's what we definitely help guys who come into our program do, is they think that, you know, I've been running to pornography as the medicine to numb pain and to make me feel better. Now I'm going to run to God. And, and early on that process, as you guys know, it gets worse before it gets better. And mm-hmm. if our if our goal is just to feel better and to have no pain, what we're trying to help them understand is, no, to be fully alive is to feel the full range of emotions, mm-hmm. not just happy, happy, joy, joy. But as a man, how do I hold on to myself when there is grief when there is sorrow when there is anger mm-hmm. and how do i how do i deal honestly with very real emotions instead of just stuffing um which is what i was was an expert at doing yeah. so so those skills is what makes our relationship now um so different um the skills that we learned again in our case uh, on our journey of of being single but it also allows us to parent much differently because we now are leading our kids into um, into this uh, understanding as well of brokenness. That they don't surprise us when they mess up. You know, we don't have this expectation of they're supposed to have it all together. Mm. Uh, we are 
we help them understand that we understand that they're desperate sinners. And a part of our role as parents is to point them uh, to a perfect Savior. Um, we've started, uh, we define relationship, our relationship now as marriage, whereas used to it was two people outperforming each other. Now our definition is two sinners in half the space. <laughs> that's that's, that's a, a true Christian marriage. Yeah. All right, so because I I love I love marriage. Christian marriage is is hot. So I got to ask this: <clears throat> what what have you discovered about your wife now, the second time around, that you're like I cannot believe I am married to this woman, and that I didn't know this about her. This is this is a spectacular woman, and I didn't even get this about her. So what have you been surprised about since 2008? Yeah, well, her courage, uh, first and foremost. Um, our story is possible because of her courage. Mm. Um, imagine um, her greatest fear was being hurt again. And so she willfully stepped back into a relationship with a man who had hurt her over and over and over and over again. With friends saying, you know, she was crazy and why would she go back into that? Um, my biggest fear was hurting her again. So... The one way we could guarantee that, that those two fears would never happen is to not be in relationship. So to choose to be in relationship means for both of us the very real risk that our greatest fear is going to be realized. And so for me, um, it's her courage, and I thank her all the time. Uh, just uh, as I see that courage on display, as she honestly moves through um, some very scary places, uh, you know, things that happen even now. Uh, we're about to have our fourth year anniversary of being remarried. And, um, you know, the stuff comes out of left field. We can't plan for when triggers happen. And just to see how she, uh, instead of passing the blame, instead of looking to me to fix her emotions, just the, the way that she, with courage, time and time again, uh, walks through those, those places uh, and is willing to continue to go there and not just throw up walls to protect herself. Because when we throw up walls, obviously intimacy is thwarted. The only way we can experience the true intimacy of being known warts and all is to risk. And and that's a scary place uh, for, for all of us. Mm. Well, Trailer, I'm really looking forward to getting a first-hand look at Route 1520 when I come to Birmingham uh, for your Monday meeting on the 16th of July. Absolutely. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Route 1520, and then I want to hear about the new uh, the group as well, the new effort, the True Blue Tribe. Okay. Yeah, well, Route 1520 came um, uh, just a ministry opportunities as people around um, our church and, and here in Birmingham began to hear about our story. Um, folks who had walked with us through our reconciliation you know, had known where we had been, and so obviously it was a natural to refer other people to us. Um, we got plugged in with some counselors, some great uh, Christian counselors here in town, um, and really began. We we feel strongly that we change in community, mm-hmm. and and for so many years we tried to change in isolation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fix it and to keep my pristine reputation. Um, community is messy, um, but but life is messy, and that's what I've I've come to realize. And. Um, so we do life, messy life together. Um, and so we get, we have nine different groups, um, that, uh, meet, uh, for men. And we have one group right now with another group that's taken the summer off for women. Uh, and these are not, um, 
these are women who are married to either someone who is currently struggling with sex and pornography addiction or um, was struggling at some time. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're divorced, still married, whatever. But Melody facilitates that group for ladies. I facilitate a group on Monday night. Uh, we have a number of other facilitators that we've trained. But basically, it's all about getting men uh, to a safe place where they can take off the mask and say, and say this is who I am, mm. um, and see the lies that they believe for so many years that's kept them in isolation, that they begin to experience the gospel firsthand as they see that, you know what, I've just told the truth about myself, but instead of everyone running to the exits, they're all actually coming toward me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last mon- uh, that last Monday of every month, we share our stories where we actually put our story out there. And, um, and, and really it, what our program is based on is we're not trying to saw off branches of behavior. We, we, we're not about just behavior modification. We really want to help guys look past the behavior or the symptom and really get into the root issues that are driving the behavior. Because, I mean, I was, I could always, mine, mine was nine months. I could saw off a branch and nine months later that, that behavior was back and back with a vengeance. Mm. It grew back bigger. It grew back stronger because I never had connected the, there were some deeper root issues at yeah. play. So wow. that's really what we're helping guys do and in community um, journey into their brokenness, that they're not alone, that they're they're um, doing that uh, courageous journey uh, in community with others who are doing the same thing. Mm. Um, we, we are working on curriculum right now. Uh, we have a video uh, uh, curriculum, our course called um, Embark, that we are about to um, to put out. And that, that course, the whole premise behind that is to make sure when someone comes to recovery, that they are coming to recovery with the proper paradigm. That God, that they don't need to work recovery so that God will like them again. Yes. That if they're in Christ, He is already giddy excited about calling them son. Mm. Uh, that He, according to Zephaniah chapter 3, is singing over them. And, and really, my own journey is unpacking that unbelief that at the core I did not believe the gospel mm-hmm. I believed God liked me and loved me when I was doing well and I believed he was very frustrated very disappointed and very angry when I was not doing so well and so it kept me on this roller coaster and we're just trying to you know, help guys understand the real message of grace uh, and Melody with her ladies helping women find their own path because so many women you know it's like hey this is his problem let him fix it and then we're good Mm-hmm. But to see the courage of those ladies begin to find their own path um, and, and really as a couple then hopefully get to what we call the new normal. Um, we don't want to help couples get back to normal because <laughs> most most couples have a very, very unhealthy dance. Mm-hmm. But God takes our brokenness. He takes the chaos of everything being surfaced like it, like it has in most cases, and he catapults us into this new normal. And it is... It is uh, scary, and we don't know how to how to do this new dance. And so that's another big part that the community plays in that. Wow. That's fabulous. Now, I'm really intrigued. Uh, I've been teased with the news of this uh, special kind of, um, uh, this new effort that you've launched to kind of help guys step into phases of their masculinity through, uh, in ways that are less frightening than showing up uh, in a group and telling their whole story up front. Uh, at least that's how I understand True Blue Tribe. Am I on that's the right track? Is that what you're doing? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's definitely, um, it, it got started. Um, one of our guys who's been um, 
a part of our community for about three years now. You know, definitely the symptoms of pornography and his addiction have taken care of themselves. He's got he's in healthy community. He's he's really learning how to handle that. So we've got to put off. But Scripture says, don't just put off the old, and that's mm-hmm. where so much so much in the church stops. Yeah. We just want to get rid of the bad behavior. Yeah. But what does this put on? What is the bigger story that God is writing? What does it look like to be fully alive in 2012 mm-hmm. um, as a as a righteous Christian man? Um, and so, out of that, um, this particular friend um, was raised by um, a dad who was a very successful banker. Well, his grandfather, his dad's dad, had died when he was seven, so his dad did not know um, how to do a lot of things and so didn't know how to teach he and his brothers and being a banker he taught them how to play it very safe don't take risk mm-hmm. um, and my friend who's now he's wanting to take some risk he's wanting to, to his heart's coming alive and he's learning how to engage it well um, in community with other men the way this is manifesting with him is he's uh, looking to buy a vintage motorcycle and restore it and he, as he put that out there, he doesn't know anything about auto mechanics, know mm-hmm. no, nothing about motorcycles. But some of the other guys in our community began to hear about it. And one of them said, hey, I would love to help you with that. I rebuilt my first motorcycle engine when I was 14. And another guy said, I, I drag race every weekend. I'd love to be a part of that project. And so it just kind of came out of that. And we said, you know what? I think this is, uh, this is uh, something bigger than just this one project. Uh, and the more we began to talk about it, I, I think it comes down to this. I, I found a quote from a poem by William Butler Yeats. And I think this, this uh, phrase in this poem really describes the state of masculinity in our culture today. Uh, he says, describing this character in this poem, he ruffled in a manly pose for all his timid heart. Mm. And I think that so vividly describes the state of masculinity and manhood in our culture. Um, is that men, um, you know, when you talk about community with men, it quickly goes to accountability. Yeah. Um, and accountability is very important, but accountability minus true community becomes moral policing. Mm-hmm. And as men, we, we don't know real how, really how to do community, how to do life on life, how to really engage at the emotional heart level. And so all we know how to do is turning into a list of here's what to, let's let's you know make sure we get our behavior in order. So this um, these questions though that we have as men, do I have what it takes? Uh, we don't have in our culture a a clear process of what it takes to be a man. Um, and I think that's that's something that needs to be fixed. So frankly, the only thing we have to go by to answer the question, "Am I a man?" is the calendar. You know, well, I'm 18 or, well, I'm 21, so I must be a man. But but I we're defining it that we become a man when a man affirms that we're a man. Yeah. And for so many in our in our groups, they may be 50 years old. I was having breakfast with one the other day, 51 years old. And he was he was molested when he was five years old. Mm-hmm. There is a five year old part of him that is stuck. Yeah. And and so what we're doing is saying, listen, we can't go back and undo that. But what we can do is in a broader community of men, we can create a place where it's okay to say, I don't know how to do this, but I would love to learn. Mm-hmm. Because if our dads didn't teach us by the time we're 18 or, or 21, whenever we got out of the house, let's say to hunt, to weld, to, to work on a car, to, um, you know, to do 
build a deck, uh, drywall, framing a house, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Then the rest of our life, we're going to take the path of least resistance. We're going to avoid those things mm-hmm. because we want to be proficient. And so we're going to gravitate toward things that we feel confident in and gravitate away from those things that we feel would expose us. A um, couple of weeks ago, actually Memorial Day, our Monday night meeting, we had a guy who'd driven in straight from Atlanta to our meeting. He had been with his fiance's family. And we were talking that night about the verbal affirmation of the father at Jesus's baptism that everyone heard God say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Mm. And we were talking about our need as men for that, for that affirmation and, and for someone uh, to tell us that we have what it takes, preferably our father. Um, and as we're doing that, this one gentleman, he, he, he broke down, and it took him about over two minutes to get his composure. And what had happened over Memorial Day weekend, he was put into a situation with his future father-in-law where he had to grill, and he had never been taught how to grill. Mm. And he was so distraught over being exposed and felt so insecure and so much less than a man and that's just one example of, you know, you know how quickly we can fix that. Mm-hmm. So we've got already scheduled a dinner party with about 10 guys. We're going to teach this guy how to grill and have great fellowship. Nice. You know, at the same time. And so that's really what True Blue Tribe is about is, is teaching what we know how to teach and do and then learning what we don't know how to do mm-hmm. and having a safe place where we can do that. Uh, and what I found in, in about two months, I've been just kind of throwing this out there. We're very quick to minimize what we know how to do, and we make this very, very big deal out of what we don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you think about our, we're, as men, we're supposed to know how to do things. You know, mm-hmm. our sons are looking to us to know how to do things. Um, our daughters looking to us to know how to do things. But if somebody else has not taught us, you know, we weren't just born with these skills. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's that's what we're what we're trying to do, and we're really seeing a fantastic response. Officially, it launches uh, Father's Day. We do have the site up, but I'm I'm burning the men out all trying to get it all um, all done. The community will be there uh, with the discussion boards and all of that. Wow, what a cool! What is that? What is that site address? It's TrueBlueTribe.com. True Blue, another way of saying authentic tribe another word for community so authentic community true blue tribe uh discovering authentic man rediscovering authentic manhood um and and encouraging men to live a bigger and a better story together doing that together and our our uh, our listeners can also find you at route1520.com that's right that's Uh, r-o-u-t-e-1520 okay well, trailer. I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing you. We're gonna go, we got a. There'll be a few of the pirate monks traveling with me on that That's road awesome. trip. That'll bring bring us to Birmingham from Jackson, Mississippi. But there's also going to be a posse driving south from Franklin to meet That's us for that special night since you're in range. That is great. Well, we are so excited. Our, our church is excited about having you, and we're going to be doing everything we can to get the word out. And um, just very very excited about. Uh, about having you. We okay. do have that um, that sign up on our um, Facebook page and also on the Route 1520 site. So uh, okay. there's no charge for the event. We're just trying to keep track of how many we've got coming. All right. Awesome. All right, trailer, brother. I'm, I'm really happy that I now have other things to like about you beyond your Scrabble name. <laughs> uh, that's, a, 
That's right. That's some awesome stuff. Remind me not to play you in words with friends. I'm, I'm a little scared. <laughs> no, don't worry. Just ask Nate's wife. I suck at those games. Yeah, well, I don't even know how to play them, so I need to come to True Blue Tribe and have somebody That's teach right. me. Yeah. That's right. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. Lord bless you, trailer. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. That was a great conversation with Trailer. Uh, that was some amazing stuff happening in Alabama. I, I like your your new friends that you come across, Nate. I'll tell you, I have been so fortunate to meet some awesome people. Yeah. Well, we would love to meet some other pirate monks that are out there, so send us your notes via email. And, uh, Mondo, are you awake enough to give him that email address? <laughs> yeah. Slap him, Nate. Slap him in the face. <laughs> Samsonpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Samsonpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. All right. And uh, we got we got great new shows ahead Uh you watch for them, fellas. We're actually going to have three episodes a week apart. Oh, check that. We're going to be back on schedule with the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, yeah. All right, so until <laughs> next week, we're done. We're out of here. Yo-ho-ho. Ho. <laughs>